Uh, so um, how much is that? Welcome to the podcast, editors, mastermind, the show about the business of podcast editing. I'll be your host tonight, Carrie Caulfield, Eric from Yaya Podcasting, and I'm joined by... Brian Ensminger from TopTierAudio.com, and over to my side is... Daniel Abendroth of RothMedia.audio. And we are still testing Boomcasters, so if you have opinions at all about, you know, whether you notice any difference from StreamYard or any of the sound, whatever... You know, share your thoughts with us so we can report them back to Boomcaster. Tonight, we're going to talk about a topic that Brian actually came to us about. It's called survivorship bias. And I'm going to let him explain what he means by that specifically. Yeah. And I guess I should start by saying I don't consider myself an expert in this subject, but I think that there are some misconceptions. I think that some people think that survivor bias means that we only look to the survivors as the examples for success. So as an example, we might look at a really well-known podcaster such as John Lee Dumas, and we would say, well, if I start a show that's 20 minutes long and the same questions every time, then I will have the same level of success that he is. And that's not really what I mean by this. It's more the idea, and this idea, there are scores of this kind of confirmation bias all over. But the one that really stuck out to me was from World War II, where at a certain point of time, there were planes being shot, out, shot down over Europe. And they started trying to figure out, like, what do we need to do to make these planes not get shot down? Like, other than avoiding bullets, what can we do? And so they started looking at where the planes were getting shot, right? And they said, well, hey, let's find out where the planes are getting shot. Then we'll reinforce those areas and the planes won't get shot down. However, the fallacy in that idea was that they were looking at the planes that made it back, not the planes that didn't. And so all of the planes that landed with the pilot still inside of them in not so good condition, those weren't the ones that were examined. So they actually started looking at where, where are the bullet holes not when the planes arrive. So they're going, okay, those are the places where if a bullet hole, a bullet hits it, that's a more critical issue. This can happen in like investing where you look at what works for people in stock market. It can also happen in the podcasting space. And I think that if we don't examine our presumptions, what, you know, what it is that we think helps people be successful, either as editors or on behalf of our clients, we can end up in a really tough spot where we're looking at what worked for Pat Flynn 10 years ago in a different context, different person, different things may have worked at the time. And we can end up spinning our wheels and creating a situation where we as editors, in terms of our businesses, might be making decisions based on faulty information. But we can also and potentially guide our clients in the wrong direction if we don't take the time to examine more deeply what's going on. Do you think that also examining or talking with podcasters who... Because I'm thinking about the series of articles about Podfade that I've written and you can check that out on Medium. They're, they're all free. Where I'm really thinking about the people who have failed, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And, and who have not made it. So 
do you think we don't pay enough attention to the failure and we're we're more looking towards the people in podcasting who have been a success, including the editors, right? We're not yeah. looking at the editors who stop editing because they just couldn't make it work. I think that's probably true. And I think there's some of that that is probably self-preservation, right? If we look at the statistic in the U.S. that 90% of small businesses fail in the first five years or whatever that number is, and we focus on those, we might lose heart. And we certainly don't want to create a situation where people feel like there's no point in continuing. However, there are things that we can either learn by examining the things that caused those failures. And you know, if we, can, if we can find it, because nobody really writes about the people that went on to something else, or by the same token, can we find the things that the successful people tried that didn't work, right? So we can start to understand that, or maybe find a way to start examining the challenges that they didn't face so that what they did actually works. And I think of this because there are things that I do for my clients that I know don't have a significant payback in terms of like making an audiogram. I know that if you send an audiogram to a client, they will feel special and they're more likely to share that. So I'm happy to do that for, or I'm sorry, to their guests, right? However, I also know that audiograms don't really convert very well in terms of like the investment versus the thing. So I'm, I'm thinking like, are there things that we do or we put on people or guide them toward that don't really give that return just because somebody did it once and it worked? Or conversely, are there things that we're not warning our clients about that we maybe need to be more aware of? So I would almost challenge you on audiograms because I don't think they're necessarily for turning viewers of audiograms into listeners. I think they're value is in creating micro pieces of content to build your audience elsewhere other than your podcast. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hate when people say that. Why did I say that? But yeah, it's about kind of widening your reach outside of podcasting. Yeah. Cause I'll agree with that because whenever I sell it to my customers, like I give them the caveat that like this probably won't convert for your show. You probably, you know, this isn't going to get you more listeners, but if you're looking to be putting out content, Instagram or Facebook, or wherever, this is an easy way to take content that you've already created and just repurpose it for your other platform. Because your podcast episode is full of, you know, really good tidbits that you put out to the world once and then that's it. But then you can take little bits of it and then put it on your Instagram. And now that's one, you know, less Instagram post that you need to create because you already did it with your podcast. We may have just given Brian a breakthrough. So what I think I'm hearing <laughs> is it's it's a nurturing element. It's not a conversion point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But there's still people who sell it that way, right? Yeah. Well, that's how it used to be sold. Yeah. That's not that's not actually going to happen, statistically speaking. It's a way of repurposing content and building a wider audience. And I'm a huge fan of like creating micro content for social media, you know, taking content I've already created elsewhere, repurposing it into a small chunk because there's going to be a certain percentage of my social media audience who's going to like, they're going to read it, they're going to engage with it, but that's it, right? But they still count as my overall audience. Like I can still put that in a media kit. I can still sell, you know, sponsors that, you know, it still converts into something, just not listenership. 
I like that perspective. Thank you guys for working me through this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what a mastermind's for, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, what other common things, like if we put back on our, our producer or our editor hat, what are some of the common things that we see around the space that maybe aren't really examined, right? So they're, they're just assumed to be true. I don't have any, like, I didn't come to this with a bunch of answers. I came with questions. Right. So one of the things that you see all the time, especially, and I mentioned this in our Facebook group, actually, when you posted, and by the way, everybody should join our Facebook group, that when I have consults, everybody wants to replicate another podcaster. And this is one of the reasons why I chose not to work with new podcasters, because I get very tired of telling people, well, you really can't be the next Gary Vee. You can't be the next whatever podcast du jour or podcaster du jour because they already exist, right? And they're doing it really well with their own positioning. So what is your you know, uniqueness, your specialness that you're bringing to the table with your podcast? But it's that, it's that formula, right? It's the do this, 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 and this. And you see it all the time. You see it in Facebook ads and you see the podcasting gurus, I guess. It's how I got started, right? I found somebody that had a format of a show that I thought, well, I can do that. Yeah. And stick with it forever. But it did get me started. It does get you started. But like, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically working with maybe business people especially, which always surprised me because they were already doing business. They were, you know, CEOs, whatever. And yet all they wanted to do was follow this formula and recreate this show and didn't listen because, and I think the other thing is that they have such a bias towards that formula that it's harder to get those clients to listen to you because podcast guru so-and-so that they consume the content of said, oh, all you need is Zoom and and your laptop mic and, you know, and some guests and you're good to go. Now, I don't know laptop mic, but, you know, whatever it's. Steve wants to know if any of those shows, shows were on fire. Um, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, well, because John Lee Dumas, when I started, recommended the Heil Pro. What is it? The Heil. PR40. PR. P- yeah, P- I don't know why I said pro, but yeah, the PR40. <laughs> Or the Blue Yeti was the other one that he recommended. If I had to throw a show that people take too much influence from, I would say it has a sort of experience to it that's hard to replicate. Yeah, I think so. One of the things that I tell people when they want to start working with me, or even if they just ask what my advice is, my advice is find one person and do what they say. Don't go searching all the YouTube places, right? This is a blanket statement, so it's not 100% true. But the biggest thing that's going to happen if you go searching YouTube for every single answer or surfing the podcast movement Facebook page and asking all your questions there like one piece at a time, you're going to get conflicting advice and you're likely going to end up being one of those planes that got shot down where we just don't know where the bullet holes are because you stepped in front of a shotgun. (laughs) And... I don't want to see people do that. Like they don't have to work necessarily with me, but I would want them to find somebody that they trust and do what that person says. Will they get everything right? Probably not. Because there's, there's no 
right way to do podcasting. There's no one right way to do podcasting. However, in my view, the wrong way to start, (laughs) the least opportunity for success is to take your advice from everyone as a beginner and try and collate that and figure out what to do. Yeah. When you see those posts, like in these big groups, you have a hundred comments that are saying 50 different things. And now whoever has a question has to sort out and not know what's good advice and what's not. And just like, and not only is it like, you know, some good advice makes them with a lot of bad advice. It's just like, how do you sort through a hundred different opinions? Yeah. And you can't. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, does that happen to us as editors? We're part of a Facebook group that has 7,000 members and they're all very helpful. But do we sometimes even do that? I probably have walked into that group and asked a half question and gotten like a lot of advice. I, I don't know. Does that happen to you guys? Yes, I, I've seen and bless us all editors because we are very opinionated. Um, not. <laughs> no, anything but a Yeti. But, you know, people will argue. And that's maybe the one thing about editors you don't, well, I don't know, maybe this happens in podcasting groups too, but we will exchange strong beliefs about how we do things, which then can be extra confusing when you're trying to read through those posts or when you ask a question and you're trying to discern who's giving you the correct information. Now, how do you discern what good information and bad information is? Or maybe that's even the wrong way to frame it, but what information is going to work for you and what's not? Which is a lot harder when you don't know the topic in the first place. Yeah. So that, that actually made me think of a, a Twitter exchange that I had with another, another podcast editor who is a very high-level producer. He's excellent at his craft. He was involved in a network years ago. And he's very opinionated about a number of things, one of which is in a podcast, all voices should be panned dead center, period. No variation. I'm sure that there's space for an audio drama, but he's thinking like monologue interview. And I'm thinking, I actually do pan voices slightly. Like we're talking 2% left, 2% right. Uh, not enough that it creates the, the one ear issue. If somebody like, it's nearly imperceptible. Like we're talking maybe a one decibel difference. It adds a little something, something. I agree with you there. It helps when people are talking at the same time like you and I just did because it creates enough separation that your brain can perceive it a little bit more. It's not perfect, but it's also not 25% left, 25% right. Well, he and I have a difference of opinion there. And that's okay. I like to think I'm pretty good at what I do. I absolutely know he's excellent at what he, he does. But if somebody who's just starting to get up and running in their editing software was to step into the middle of that conversation, we would totally be getting them focused on the wrong things because it's at that stage, if they're just getting started, what they need to be focusing on is how do I make the cuts? How do I make the pacing work? All that stuff. They, they don't even need to be thinking about some of the stuff that this guy is really good at, which is the mastering stage. I mean, this guy is a master of mastering spoken word audio. I've seen some of the stuff that he can do and it's just borders on unbelievable. Like I can't even comprehend some of this. Like I ask him for advice. I'm not saying, like for real. But I disagree with him on this point. And somebody walking into the middle of that doesn't need to be in that conversation. They're not ready to disagree yet. Right. Now, somebody hiring somebody might want to be aware of that kind of stuff. They might not care about the nuts and bolts. But it's that thing that you and I talked about last time, Carrie, about maybe a comment that I made on Twitter that shouldn't have been quite so open. But if you're hiring a production company, 
they should be able to produce your audio to spec. Like that's kind of stage one, especially if you're charging money for it. I mean, it is incredibly difficult for anybody to ask a question, especially a newbie question where they don't know how to discern that information yet. They don't know, you know, whose advice to take. And I think really it goes back to picking one sort, like stick it and pick it or pick it and stick it. I'll um, go either way. Yeah. <laughs> stick it and pick it. Um, it and stick it because you get almost shiny. I call it like shiny object syndrome, right? Where you get distracted by, you know, you get one piece of device and you get distracted by something over here. So you've completely shifted gears or made changes and nothing like you don't see enough through to the end to know if it's going to work for you. Because a lot of stuff is just trial and error, quite frankly. And some of that takes time. And I, I think that it's so easy to get distracted by whatever advice from whatever guru. And I am being intentionally vague, by yeah. the way, because I don't want to necessarily call anybody out. We right. can call out the people who do the sponsored ads on Facebook, although I don't know their name because they claim podcasting success and that you should follow what they say. And nobody in podcasting has ever heard of them. But we've never heard of them, so we don't know their names. But I feel like we've all seen the ads. Yeah. And part of me sometimes wonders if some of this is driven by the expert culture and the need for marketing, right? So... 80% of your success comes from 20% of what you do, but somebody has figured out how to get the last percent of something that nobody else knows about and they can sell that as the secret, then that becomes the linchpin in their success plan, right? Because that's the part that makes it possible for them to sell everything. And I wonder if sometimes we get stuck in that because we don't realize that what they're selling is, is the last half a percent, right? It's not that they're not giving you the rest if you buy the course or whatever. But the sizzle that they're selling us isn't the part that makes success. I, I actually made a, a post about this today, not thinking about this thing, about talking about what makes a podcast successful. And I just drew a pie chart and it's like 50% content, like 25 to 30% um, engaging with your audience and then being available everywhere. And then like this last little bit is trying to optimize what day and time you publish it, right? Because everybody pops into these groups and says, when should I publish my podcast? I'm like, I don't know. And I, frankly, I don't care because if you have great content and you engage with your audience where they are in a way that draws them to that and attracts them to you as a person, you will grow your, you will grow your audience. Like that's part of why we record this live is because we care about you, our, our listeners. We want to interact with you. We're not trying to put something out as a broadcast. We want to meet you. And might I remind everybody that podcasting is on-demand content, which means you don't get to define, because it's not broadcast, right? It's on-demand, and you don't get to define when your listener demands it. I actually read something that Paul Desmond Adams had published earlier. He was talking about why radio people hate podcasts and podcasts hate radio people, essentially. And he's like, here's the deal. Radio people are looking at this as a broadcast. Their job is at the top of the hour and after every break to appeal to the widest audience they can and then kind of dial it in. Podcasts are what he called a niche cast. You're not broadcasting. You're casting to a specific group of people that you care about. And so you don't have to worry about the same set of things. And I think that we get some of those broadcasty ideas when we start thinking about how can we 
optimize the time that we do this or how can we tweak this one word to appeal to more people? Like essentially, how can we water our message down when we should be thinking, how can I find my people? Yeah. And that goes back kind of to your pie chart, right? Yeah. The magical pie chart of doom. Yeah. And, and we should definitely put that in the show notes because that was an awesome pie chart. And as a scrapbooker, I appreciated your handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't figure out how to do it well on a computer. So it's like, I've got a notebook. I'll just scribble it. (laughs) Yep. I think that's awesome. So Daniel, what are you thinking? Well, first off, I want to know who you're talking about. For Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you hold him in such high regard, like I want to make sure that I'm. Oh, uh, Paul Fagiani, I think is his last name. Okay, I'm produce that up. new media is his handle. Guy is an absolute machine. He really is an incredibly generous guy, incredibly kind guy. We just happen to disagree about this one thing. I will argue that neither one is wrong. Like so many things that we have, like people, like you're talking about, like people have such strong opinions about these things. Like they will die on that hill. It's never like nothing is ever like 100%. Every like the real answer to every question is it depends. Like a hill that I'm willing to die on is never use a Yeti. However, <laughs> there are situations where the Yeti works. Yeah, I've heard them used beautifully. Yeah, but I will still tell everybody don't use the Yeti. And I'm not wrong because for 99% of people, you know, that's the best advice. And also, like we get focused on kind of like we're talking about, you know, the wrong things like when to release or when not to, again, it depends. Because what I tell like my clients is the same time every time. So the same day, like time, same day a week. And not so much for the audience's sake as for the podcasters. Because when you miss that first one, then it's a lot easier to miss that second one. But it's a lot easier to stick to it when you have a schedule. So if you don't have a schedule and you just kind of post whenever, it's a lot easier to kind of get out of the rhythm. But if you like give yourself like a pretty strict deadline, it's a lot easier to stay consistent, which is more important to your growth. And I think for us, that falls in the category of do as we say, not as we do. Because if you go to podcastdetails.com and look up our RSS feed, you will notice that we do not release at the same time on the same day every time. So uh, sorry about that. (laughs) But in the same, you know, it goes back to it depends for whatever reason, that's just how we are able to put on the show. Like if we had to be like, okay, absolutely. This is when the episodes go up. I mean, we're super busy, which is a good thing, but sometimes the stuff has to wait, right? Sometimes the show is not our first priority. I mean, we love you guys. And we also have this live stream. So it's always there. Like the live stream is pretty much always the same time. I mean, we maybe. Yeah, we bump weeks sometimes, but yeah. 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 But it's there, right? So there's a little bit of safety knowing that we have that available to our listeners, viewers. But we've still managed to do this for since what, 2020? (laughs) Yeah, we just had two years a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. So I will argue that that is a perfect example of this episode's topic. So if you were to look at another successful show that is consistently putting out same time, same day, every time, we wouldn't look as successful because we're not following that same formula. But 
some people, if they try to copy what we're doing, won't be successful because of our inconsistency. But for us, it works. I would also argue that I, I know of some shows that have been absolutely consistent for several years, but because of the audience that they serve, they actually have a smaller audience than we do, right? And our audience is not huge, but that's the nature of that show. So if you're looking at, if you were to hold our show up in terms of audience size and say, well, success looks like that or better, probably better, then you would say this show isn't successful. This other show isn't successful. And I would say, but actually, he's serving his audience. So who says he's not successful? So then what defines success? Is that another area where we may be unintentionally steering our clients wrong? Or you know, is that another thing in the industry that needs to be maybe challenged? Potentially. I mean, this particular person is a client of mine. And so every month when we go through his stats, he has questions about his downloads because of course he wants to grow his show. We start going back to, okay, but what's the feedback you're getting because people are texting you and telling you how much your show meant to them? What's the feedback you're getting in terms of people liking or commenting the, the stuff that's on Facebook? And of course, we're looking for strategies to get that better, right? Because he does want to Im- impact more people. But the fact is, the people that are showing up, it matters to them. I'm of the opinion that, yes, there's room to grow and we will never be completely satisfied. However, that doesn't mean he's not successful. And I believe that we're doing the right things. And as long as we keep focusing on those relationships, and that's what I keep talking, like we keep going back to build those relationships, make the show for the people you know, like that kind of stuff so that we're doing that. Now, maybe I'm guiding him in the wrong way. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that would be what I would advise. Like our show has been a slow burn. Yeah. Right? But we have consistently trended upwards. And what I also love is we have in, you know, well, I don't want to say we inspired other shows to come about, but you see more and more people having conversations like ours about editing, which I think is great. I mean, if something were to happen and we were to fall off the face of the earth, at least somebody's having those conversations. That's a win. Yeah, because I think each show needs to define what success looks like for themselves. Because if you're looking to like make a full-time living from ad revenue, then yeah, number of downloads and engagement is going to be a sign of success. But if you're using your show as like a marketing channel for something else, then your download numbers aren't as important as how much business you're deriving from it. See, I would almost challenge the download numbers thing because smaller shows can absolutely make money with simply engagement numbers, right? If you have a a super targeted audience, what does Rob Walsh always say? Psychodemographics, right? So if you have that (laughs) super, (laughs) super targeted audience with lots of engagement, and this happens to be something I am talking through with a show that I'm working with right now to help them get monetized. You know, they were thinking sponsorship, but you know, that's the other thing is, is there's so many different ways to monetize, but if you have high engagement and you have very targeted audience, you're going to automatically be attracted because the sponsor's money is not going to be wasted, right? Or hopefully not going to be wasted. 
because there are no guarantees. But also with high engagement, you can self-monetize, right? And so I think that another conversation that we need to, or another thing in podcasting we really need to think about and, and really need to consider what we tell our clients is monetization. We need to think, you know, think about how it's not just sponsors, right? Because everybody, what's the first thing that most podcasters... Ads, I want to sell ads. How do I monetize? <laughs> how do I get a sponsor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like case by case, but uh, you know, everything doesn't have to come from your podcast. There's so many other platforms out there that can be under like one umbrella. You know, different social media have revenue sharing, but like you can use your podcast and make, you know, dollars there. You can use TikTok, make money there, but you use like all your different platforms to feed like one umbrella of a brand. Yeah. And that goes back to your social media being, you know, part of that wider audience and that different types of content can, you know, repurposing that content can be really powerful. So I'm wondering about editors. We've been talking about success as podcasters, but what about success us as editors? Like what are some of the pitfalls that we find there? I think that there's a lot of parallels because ultimately podcasting is a business. You know, it will, if you're, you know, should be running your podcast kind of like a business. But I think a lot of the same things hold true. Like what is success for your business look like? How are you kind of leveraging on your social media and everything to make money and, and kind of, I guess, diversifying because they're, Lots of different ways to make money with what we do and who you're listening to, essentially. I mean, I think one of the pitfalls is looking to other people to help you define your success. So if I were to look around the podcasting space within the people that we all know, and I was to compare my client list to somebody like Daryl Darnell or Christy, I can't remember her last name, but... Hostler? Yeah. I don't think I'm... I don't know that I'm saying it right. I know I was wrong, but... Like if I was to compare my client list to them, I am an abysmal failure. If I was to compare my per episode charge to somebody that does sound design and all of the things that go to that, I am another abysmal failure. If I was to compare myself to somebody that has just started out on Fiverr and they don't even have the ability to charge extra yet because they haven't built up their reputation, I'm a smashing success. But that's those are all false comparisons. So like, what are some of the other things that happen when we either ignore the failure points or maybe only look to the successes to help us judge what we need to do. I think one issue is going to be offering the same things. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's a big one. So like the most common service, I think when you look at um, the podcast editors club survey would be just like editing, scheduling, uploading. And if that is what you're striving to be, you're going to be competing pretty hard. If you don't have anything to differentiate yourself, as opposed to somebody who can't offer sound design. If you can do sound design well, you're probably able to, you're definitely going to beat out me when it comes to certain clients. Me too. I know for me personally, when I decided to stop offering all the extras and just focus on the editing, that was a very scary thing for me to do because everybody else was doing it differently. They were adding more services. They were offering more services. And for me, that felt like a big risk, right? Then if I wasn't so like 
just over like show notes and publishing and all those other um, tasks, I might not have done it. So I think it's a, a pitfall. I, I see other editors add in more services and, and I, there was just a post in Justbusters about this, like really thinking about what you want to do, what you enjoy doing and sticking with that. And I feel like that's not something that we talk about very often because you hear all about like, oh, all these different ways to make money. And even I just said that there's lots of different ways to make money as an editor, right? But I don't think we talk about the doing what you enjoy part enough. This is the dead air section of the show. Because <laughs> like, I mean, like, I'm dealing with that right now. Tell us about it. Because like, I'm almost just kind of bored. And I hate to admit this, but it's just like, I want something different. But I don't know what that looks like. And it's scary to try to change. It is. I'm not going to lie. It feels like, I don't know how many times I've come to you guys and said, oh, I'm blowing up my business this month. Uh, <laughs> 17. <laughs> Hold on, let me get my tally sheet. It's right yeah. <laughs> oh, here she goes again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, there's a, you know, I kind of felt that way before I did the fellowship, really. And that's one of the reasons I did the fellowship because I was like, do I really want to be editing interview shows for the rest of my life? And the answer to that was no. And then I, I, you know, I also had to ask myself, do I want to have 50 clients? And the answer was no. No, I really don't want that. So I had to really think about what I enjoyed doing and it was the more story focused things because fellowship was a risk too <laughs> it was a big it was a big investment it, and it meant i had to kind of not have so many clients which means i had to have a big investment less money so yeah i, I may be rambling i don't know but I think another disservice we might do ourselves as editors is not talk about what we want versus what we're scared to do, right? And those things that we're we're struggling with, like being bored. I'm actually glad that you guys brought this up because it reminded me of some training that I went through for my day job where they were talking about, and because it was put together by a consultant, it was a four-box quadrant because every consultant uses a four-box quadrant but they were talking about the progression of excellence or that kind of thing. And you basically start out as I'm amazing because I'm so unknowledgeable. I don't even know what I don't know. So I think I've got all the skills in the world and you very quickly progress to, holy cow, I suck. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you get to a point where it's like, I perform at a pretty high level most of the time, but there's still the occasional struggles. And then finally you get to like, I can rock this out without thinking about it. And they said, level four is actually the most dangerous because it's at that point that you think you're so good that you stop learning. So if you don't find ways to keep pushing yourself back into quadrant three, where you, you're pushing the envelope, you're learning new things, you're, you're forcing yourself to stretch, you will eventually stagnate in that fourth box and be essentially worthless. Like eventually you will fail simply because you stuck yourself there. And you just allowed yourself to stay there. And I can, I can definitely see points in, in my journey where I got to something that felt like that fourth box. It might have been the second box. I don't know. 
but I intentionally forced myself into places because I'm going like, there has to be something more. I need, I need a challenge or I'm going to lose my mind. Kind of like what Carrie just described in terms of why she took the fellowship. And it's not because I necessarily even wanted to set the, like accomplish the specific goal I set for myself. I just knew that I needed a goal in order to push myself to grow in this area and to do something else. So what specifically, Daniel, is making you bored? What, is it you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm bored of Brian. Um, it's hard to like pinpoint, but like it's just kind of, we had a good like first quarter, you know, the company we brought on a few new clients. But other than that, it's just kind of like the same thing, you know, day in, day out. Just a lot of editing. What really struck me is, I think it was a tweet or something, but Steve Stewart um, had like tweeted out just like, I love editing podcasts. And it's just like, I don't have that feeling. I love working for myself. I love working from home, being my own boss. But I don't have that like, God, how many clients are listening? <laughs> well, I don't see why they, but you know, if they're I listening send it to them. <laughs> yeah. It, well, if they're listening, they might not be clients for long. They might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll push me, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's a good, I think, a good summary, right? You were essentially like, oh my goodness, I do this all the time. There's potentially no end in sight. And so, like, that's probably pushing on the edge of burnout. I was listening to a podcast this week because that's what I do. And one of the things I talked about is burnout has very little to do with the amount of energy that's required to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with not seeing an end in sight and the mindset and the like it just becomes a mental challenge to do that every day. And so I'm wondering, like, is that what's facing you? And is there a tweak that you could do that would change it just enough that it wouldn't feel that way anymore? Probably. I just don't know what that tweak would be. Uh, well, I'm thinking about the comment you just put out about Steve, where it's, what did he say? To grow, so never stop learning. A business can't remain stagnant. To grow, it must increase volume or get very niche. So could it partly be the content? Or it's just, because I know I got to a point where I was like, I'm hearing the same stuff over and over and over again. I just, I can't imagine (laughs) possibly because I love the content that I edit, but I do have like a niche. So the content from show to show is very similar, like the topics. And it's the same niche I've been editing for four or five years now. So that could be it. And like one exciting thing that happened recently was one of my clients wrote a book and he did um, the audio for the audio book version. And so he's having me edit that, which has been fun, something new and different, but that's quickly coming to an end. So maybe adding in that maybe audiobook component, because lots of coaches make audiobooks or make or write books. So just offering that, I mean, maybe just putting it out into the universe, putting it on your website, saying this is a service you do and seeing if you can use your client as like a testimonial or an example. I mean, he probably would love a link to his book on your website. You know, I'd actually like to suggest something a little bit different. Okay. Because I don't like the idea of having a website that says I do this and I do this and I do this, which is exactly what I have and I need to change that. <laughs> I know because we had that. 
I don't remember her name right now, but she came on and told us all the things that were wrong with our websites. And that was, that was very insightful. What I'm wondering is, is this something that you could talk to your current clients about and just say, hey, if you're ever thinking about doing a book, I don't advertise this, but I actually do produce audiobooks and I'd be glad to work on it for you. So that you're taking clients that you have an existing relationship with and you're building on that rather than trying to go chase down another client. I think that's smart because I have one client, I think she's written like three or four books and one that's in the process of writing a book. So it'd be super easy to process the subject. And my website is not a driver for my business. It's all pretty much word of mouth is where new clients come from. And so it'd be easy to like word of mouth for new audiobook clients without having to add to my website. It's exciting that you just said that because... It was a podcast episode in a different niche about how word of mouth is not the best method for finding clients that talked about the survivor bias. And they were very specific about if you go and ask all the people that are successful right now and you say, how are you getting your clients? They'll say referrals. What they don't say is, but I had to slog it out for 15 years to get here to build the flywheel for my marketing machine where I had enough people that were invested in me that I could get enough business through referrals. Now, again, it's a different market, so it's not the same. Mm -hmm. But that's what made me think, like, are there some things that we assume? Like, so I get most of my business by referral too, and that is very clearly a gap that I want to address in my business. Yeah, because that leads to feast or famine. It does. And you're 100% dependent on a one-for-one relationship being made on your behalf, and then the person on the receiving side of that relationship being willing to take that first step. First off, your client or whoever would refer you has to think about you and think, oh, this is the right person. They have to communicate that in a way that effectively pre-sells you to the person they're talking to. That person has to care enough and be invested enough right then to think, yeah, I'll probably call Daniel. Because if they write you down in their notebook, there's like a 90... I'm making the numbers up. There's a 200% chance that they're not going to call. Like It doesn't matter because I'm making up the numbers. But there's a very low probability that they'll take action on that six months ago because it's not going to have been significant enough interaction necessarily for them to remember, oh yeah, I've got this person that so-and-so recommended six months ago. That's a gap that I'm trying to address in my business. I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't think about it because I forget things. That is really insightful because when I think about Oh, like it's a huge success because I got so many referrals based on word of mouth, but I don't know how many referrals on my behalf went nowhere. Right. Or how many times like there was an opportunity that wasn't where my name didn't come up. I think that can also be a challenge as we think about new podcast editors, right? So we've been doing this for a couple of years each. If somebody new comes in and they say, how do you get all your clients? Well, unfortunately, I get most of my clients through referrals or through an existing relationship where they know that I do this and it just becomes the time where they're like, okay, well, we'll talk about pricing. Then their next question would be, well, how do I get referrals? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I guess you do good Have work. enough clients. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, but, but then it goes to the, all the things that we tell people that aren't necessarily true, right? Do great work, get yourself known, and people will refer people to you. Well, it's that get yourself known part. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's also, how do I do great work if I don't have a great client to work with? Like, I don't want to be a complete jerk, but I'm going to throw a community under the bus. If you get part of the fringe of the ClickFunnels crowd where they just want to find the lowest cost to produce their thing so they can put out all their content and make their millions selling affiliate products and they don't actually care about their people, 
you're not going to get something that's good enough to work on that it's going to be worth trying to put that in your portfolio and you're going to end up spending your wheels. And I don't want people to do that. This is no shade on like the makers of ClickFunnels. I realize that they have a very solid business model, but there are people out there and there are tons of other people where if you were to work on their show, we could use the other one, like the three drunk guys in the basement that share half a brain between them talking about nothing and sending that out. Like you can't turn that into something that a business client with money is going to listen to and go, I think I want this guy to produce my show. That's too big a leap. It's a leap in genre. It's a leap in quality. It's a leap in story. It's a leap in everything. And so you've got to find that way and would probably tell you, well, yeah, referrals, but at the same time, like it might be because we don't know any other way to do it. And we need to. And part of that is we've forgotten, right? Because we didn't start with referrals. I mean, I started with a person that was a guest on my show and I edited for him for like two and a half years for free. Like my first referral coming from him was after two and a half years of free editing, which is not a business model that I recommend for new editors. <laughs> no. It's just what I did. No, but also I started on Upwork and Daniel, you were on Fiverr, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like going back to survivor bias. I am not a good example of a path to success because like it worked for me just because I had certain circumstances line up perfectly to make it happen. Like if I had to start from zero, I could not recreate in the same way how I got here. I can speak to that as well. Like if I didn't have a day job, what I'm doing in my podcast editing business would not be enough to support my family. I'm still in the process of building that. So Part of my superpower appears to be the ability to endure unfavorable circumstances for years at a time. I might be the success story you hear about 10 years from now where the guy just stuck it out until everybody else quit. And that's how he won. And podcasting is such a new medium that what was going on five years ago when I started, completely like a different beast now. First of all, I don't even know if there were as many editors back then, right? There certainly weren't 10,000 people in or 15,000 people in Podcast Editors Club. Yeah, five years ago, it was barely just got started. Right. So it was completely different circumstances, completely different climate in podcasting. Most people didn't know what a podcast was, right? Yeah. <laughs> like lately, I haven't had to explain what I do <laughs> so much as I did like a year ago even. So the, the ways in which we start out. And I know there are some people who can make certain things work now that I probably couldn't make work now. Like if I was starting now, and I guess a lot of it goes back to, it depends. And no one can really give you the answer to what will bring you success. Because it's going to be unique for each person. Yeah. And it's, it's what is going to work for you and your specific circumstance. But that'd be really rough to hear. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you going to get rich your first year of podcast editing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm... Getting to my fifth and sixth year, I'm like, I'm still waiting for that. When does it happen? Yeah. Well, this is the, I think the first year my business actually, there was actually money left over. <laughs> so Nice. Not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's my, what is it? It's my fourth year or I'm going into my fifth year, 2018. How long? Yeah. Fourth year. Yeah, yeah, we need to go into, we've got a new thing. 
Okay. Yeah. Daniel was very smart and brought this up <laughs> that we should maybe answer a question we get from listeners and have a little mailbag. So this was a guest request back in July of last year. And I've been sitting on it because it's not enough for a full episode, um, but it is a very good topic to touch on. This is from Jack Berry of audio123.net. So they said, um, talking about their clients, they record all of their podcasts with guests using Zoom. I have suggested they use Squadcast and said, however, they don't seem to want to change. I'd like to discuss the use of other services other than Zoom. The way I'm interpreting this is to break it down. What do you do when your client doesn't listen to your advice? Find a new client? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. It, you know, I, and I just had this discussion with another podcast production person. You, some people just can't, right? For whatever reason. So I truly believe in meeting the client where they are. Maybe you could move them to recording themselves locally, right? But if all they can figure out to use is Zoom, I mean, sometimes you just have to make that work. As much as I hate to say it, Zoom just works. Like these online recording solutions, like a lot of them have issues and can be tricky. But at this point, you know, we're two years into a pandemic. Everybody and my mother knows how to use Zoom. And sometimes like that's just the easiest solution. I think my first question would be, are they unable to use something else or are they simply unwilling? Because if they're unable to use something else, then I totally agree. If they're unwilling to use something else, I would want to dig a little bit further and find out if it's because it's just so doggone easy for them or if it's because they're choosing the advice of someone else over yours. Because if consultation and your expertise is part of the package that they're getting and they're not taking your advice, then I would begin to question why they want to continue paying you. If it's just because they like it or because they simply cannot use another option. Let's use the example of somebody has to record on Teams because they work for a big company and they're not allowed to install something else. It stinks, but it is what it is, right? And so in that case, I think you go with them and you make the best of the situation. If it's because their second cousin's brother's dog groomer said that, well, actually, Zoom is the best recording platform, but they're paying you money, then I would start to wonder, like, why? I mean, not to be a jerk, but like, can the dog groomer edit your podcast? And if so, maybe you should use them because they appear to be willing to do it for free. Well, okay. I can say that I have encountered both unable and unwilling. And I think that if it's a client you want to keep, then you need to work with them pretty consistently and probably, you know, take your time easing them into it to teach them how to either use a different service or record locally. Right. And mm -hmm. I actually ha did this with a client. I really liked her. She's really fabulous. She's still a client, but I got her to record her side locally. And sometimes it's just a matter of saying, I think I finally said to her, like with Zoom glitches, I'm just not going to fix them anymore because it's so much of a time sink. It's not a perfect solution to make you not sound like a robot. 
And frankly, it slows me down too much and it's starting to cost me money. So here's the solution is to, for you to record yourself and you will sound so much better. And she actually said, okay. And that worked, right? But I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a, I let them fail, but I think especially if you're going to be podcasting for a long time, if you're going to be paying somebody to edit your show, then you, like you said, Brian, you got to be willing to listen to the professional who's serving you. But I also think that listening sometimes takes a little bit time for a client. They need, you need to get past that trust. You know, you have to do the trust earning first with the client. And I do want to be clear. Like I do have some clients that use Zoom. One of them, she turns out the best Zoom recordings I've ever heard. They're still Zoom recordings, but they're the best I've ever heard because she's very diligent. However, when she tried Squadcast, she absolutely despised the entire experience. So she's not going to use it because she just hated it. Okay, well, I can go with that, right? She knows what she's going to get. She's pretty, she's pretty astute. She has a good ear. So she knows when what she's sending me is not great. And a lot of times she'll tell me, hey, like I get that there are a bunch of glitches you can't fix. And so we just make the best of it, right? But it's not like she took a you know free course that said, well, you just have to use Zoom. It's the only way to do it. Yeah, it makes me think of, uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody in the Podcast Editors Mastermind Facebook group talked about like their client got advice from someone else. And now... Like the audio sounds awful, and the client's like, "I should have just came to you, shouldn't I?" Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I'd forgotten yep. about that. <laughs> no, that yeah. was, that was a good one. Um, and actually, everybody should be a member of the podcast editors mastermind Facebook group because there's some good stuff in there. So, if you have a question that you want us to talk about in our mailbag, um, send us a message at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. Just send a message to the contact. Or probably better yet, because we get so much spam, just send us an email at um yeah at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. And if you are struggling with an issue, want to get on the show and do some masterminding with us, or have a topic you specifically want to talk about as kind of an expert, how would you do that, Brian? Well, you would either email um yeah at podcasteditorsmastermind.com or you could go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest and fill out that little form. And then we will do our best to get back to you. But I'd like to pause here for just a second and say, when we say we want to hear from you about what you want to hear about, we mean it, right? Even if you don't want to be a guest, if you've got something that you would like to see us talk about, either as part of the mailback or as a full episode, let us know because we really want to make sure that what we're doing is meeting your needs wherever you are. And the only way that we're going to know beyond our own recollection of the experience is to hear from you. So we really want to hear from you. Real quick, I do want to touch on a comment that came in a second ago from, or a couple minutes ago from Andrea about um, this question. They had a client who would look for advice on Reddit rather than take advice from her, or rather than ask. Uh, they are no longer a client. So there you go. Yeah. So I guess that's all for us this week. I'm Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at yayapodcasting.com on Instagram at Carrie Eric. You can find me at toptieraudio.com 
or answering questions on Reddit for people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, or you can find links to all my social profiles on the website right there. And his name is Brian and Sminger. Oh, yeah I'm, yeah. I'm Brian. Sorry. I, I'm the guy that doesn't know what he's doing. The professional. I'm Daniel Abendroth, and you can find me at rothmedia.audio. Or if you want to learn how to use Reaper, you can go to reaperforpodcasting.com. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you next time. Uh, um, so, how much is that? Play us out, Brian. I'm trying. I can't find the button and I don't want to hang up on you again.